Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to another special episode, a holiday episode. Happy Thanksgiving of Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. I am the NFL columnist and Giants beat writer at the New York Daily News. And of course, we've turned to football weather now. It's cold. It's windy. The elements are affecting games. The healthy teams and the hot teams are getting on a roll and pushing towards the postseason. Some are falling off. Even though the regular season still has a long way to go here, though, before we get to the playoffs and postseason, it's always important to understand that the NFL coaching and GM carousel is constantly moving. There is so much information discussions, back and forth, and gauging going on behind the scenes and from teams, from agents, from coaches, from general managers and people in front offices. People are keeping eyes on the jobs that have come open, the jobs that may come open, and the candidates who might be best to fill them. And so every year I like to do a story in the New York Daily News, and I want to bring it to our listeners this week about the job openings that could happen in the NFL, where there's never been more turnover and more frequent turnover at these key positions and organizations, as well as the hottest names that I'm hearing from talking to league sources, reporting around the league, doing my Sunday NFL notes column for the New York Daily News. Before we get to that, just want to tell you about Bet Online. Basketball is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to Bet Online AG to join and receive. Your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, capital B L E A V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, betonline.ag, where the game starts. And where we start, before we talk about the candidates to watch, let's tell you what we're hearing and what I'm hearing about the job openings that we could be looking at. Now, let's remember last year, even when there were a lot of openings predicted and foreseen, we had 10, 10 head coaching changes after the 2021 NFL season. There are only 32 teams in the NFL. That's almost a third of the league. Would you believe it if I told you that it wouldn't be out of the picture if that happened again after the 2022 season? Unlikely that we reach the number 10. But there are that many teams that whether you want to include sure things, jobs that have already opened, potential surprises. All of this has to do, obviously, with which teams ascend and which teams descend and which owners get impatient and which stay patient. So this is all couched with, you know, things change in week 12, week 13, week 14, et cetera. That said, I'm telling you what I am hearing and you have to take all of it as the understanding that this is where it stands, things can change, but this is where you should keep an eye if you are an NFL fan of any team in the, in the league right now. So obviously, there are two openings already. We have the Carolina Panthers who fired Matt Rule. 
And we have the Indianapolis Colts who fired Frank Reich. So those openings already exist. Other situations to monitor from talking to people around the league. The Detroit Lions, but of course now I think they've won three in a row. So like I said, situations can change if a team goes on a run and makes the playoffs, right? Obviously. But when I say the Detroit Lions, I say if things go back down and the defense doesn't figure it out and the offense stops scoring and they go in the tank, so to speak. So the Detroit Lions are one to keep an eye on. The Houston Texans with Lovey Smith. Obviously, that's, a, that's an organization. There's been a lot of tor- turmoil in leadership positions, and the Texans are trending toward having the number one pick. There's a good chance Lovey Smith might not be the head coach who is sitting there in the draft room when that pick is made. We'll see where that goes. The Las Vegas Raiders, Josh McDaniels, first-year coach. There's been reporting that Mark Davis and the Raiders can't afford to fire Josh McDaniels because Davis, the owner, is cash poor. I wouldn't necessarily say that is a certainty that he wouldn't lose his job. But again, we see they beat the Broncos. Maybe they start figuring out as the season goes on because now with without as much practice time and off-seasons, and without as much as many games in the preseason and guys don't play as much in the preseason, what you see in the NFL now is a lot of coaches behind the scenes will tell you, my team isn't what I think it should look like or what it's going to look like until week five, six, seven, eight, because they view the first four games of the regular season almost as a, an extended preseason of getting guys in game shape, uh, making sure that uh, your systems are correct, adjusting how you're game planning, and players just really getting into the flow of their bodies taking these hits and being able to sustain and stay at a high level. Uh, so because of that, we have teams late in the year who, like the Raiders, who could start poorly and then midseason could really look like they just turned it on and flipped the switch. But it might be because, and this is the opinion of some coaches in the league, a lot of coaches in the league, that especially in a first-year program, it just took some time and they don't practice as much in the offseason. So now, hey, look, our product's better because we've actually been on the field more. But the Raiders are still one to watch if things go very poorly there. We also have the Denver Broncos. I probably should have mentioned this one first. Um, This could be at the top of the list with Nate Hackett. Um, When he gives up play calling this past week on offense, listen, Russell Wilson has a lot of power there. And I know he's the head coach, Nate Hackett, and I know George Payton is the GM. But if he gave up play calling, it's because Russell Wilson wanted it to happen that way. Um, as my understanding of how much say-so the quarterback has on how this functions. And so that's a bad sign for Nate Hackett. And anyway, when a coach does something like that, that he didn't intend to or want to do, usually it's the first step towards trying to find any way to turn it around before the worst case scenario. I hope Hackett doesn't lose his job. I don't want anybody to lose their jobs, but that is obviously, uh, it's not even trending in the wrong direction. It's already in the wrong direction. And with new ownership there in Denver, new money, um, and so much invested in Wilson, all these arrows and signs uh, point to Hackett possibly not making it through or through year one and into year two, but we will see. and then the Arizona Cardinals are another one. Um, the Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury just doesn't look like a tight enough operation um, from things you hear, from what you see when you watch. I think the Kyler Murray homework clause that eventually got taken out, just a good example of 
um, some of the dysfunction or poor decisions being made there. And like every team on this list, if they start winning, then things could change. Uh, but this definitely, and Steve Kime, the GM there, has, has a lot of power as well. And he has survived uh, several mistakes. So um, not sure if he would survive here or not. It seems like uh, Michael Bidwell, the owner, and Kime are attached to the hip, essentially, and he's his guy. Um, if it were me and this continued on the wrong track, I would blow it all up. So we'll see if Bidwell goes for that. But uh, to me, the Broncos and the, and the Cardinals, along with the Texans of the teams I just mentioned, are probably the highest on that list there. And then some possible surprises here. Um, well, Washington was looking like a potential surprise slash eventuality. You know, is new ownership coming in um, and things were going wrong there. But obviously, Ron Rivera with Taylor Heineke, a quarterback, things are starting to look up. They actually have a chance to make the playoffs if they can sustain this here. Um, so obviously, that you know wouldn't happen um, if they keep winning and playing well. Um, but these are the ones that intrigued me the most. These three teams, ready for this? These, so these are teams that I talk to people around the league that I trust who are extremely plugged in um, to the coaching circuit, to the GM circuit, and to the league. Um, who give you a really good finger on the pulse of uh, of where it stands and what they foresee and then what could happen if certain dominoes fall. The Dallas Cowboys, the Los Angeles Chargers, and the Cleveland Browns. Now, the Cowboys, obviously, if Mike McCarthy wins and the Cowboys go on a deep run, uh, that's one thing. But Dan Quinn, and we'll get to the top candidates in a minute, Dan Quinn is one of the top head coaching candidates coming into this next cycle. You know, he was high on the Giants list. Uh, the Cowboys did a lot to make him stay. He pulled his name out of the Giants running when he was a strong contender to get the head coaching job under Joe Shane. And uh, there is a belief or a feeling that, uh, you know, they would the Cowboys would not be able to keep Dan Quinn into 2023 as their defensive coordinator. They would either have to promote him to head coach or he'll end up getting a job somewhere else. Uh, so that is the 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 hot flame behind and beneath Mike McCarthy and the incentive to keep winning. But obviously, we see they roll against the Vikings, and if they beat the Giants on Thanksgiving, um, you know, then. But it'll be fascinating to follow, no matter what, because if the Cowboys succeed and don't intend to make a coaching change, losing Quinn would be a huge deal from this defense, right? You know, with Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence and these guys. Uh, so that's a fascinating situation to follow either way. Uh, Brandon Staley's Chargers obviously put up a good fight recently against the Chiefs. Staley is still a relatively new coach, but as a guy who came in as a defensive coach, uh, the defense does not look anywhere close to where you would want it. Uh, Justin Herbert getting healthier obviously helps the coach and the team. Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, when they are on the field, uh, Williams has really struggled to stay on the field. At Allen just came back. You saw the difference he made on offense. Williams couldn't last it through the game. Um, so if I'm Brandon Staley, obviously I would say, well, my quarterback was hurt early season. My top receivers have been out and that would all be fair as well. Um, but you know, still something to watch because some of their games, especially early. And, and like I said, the defensive game plans, um, and I'm not talking about against the chiefs who have one of the top offenses and who have the NFL's MVP and Patrick Mahomes, but just consistently, it doesn't seem they have, um, strong enough answers. And uh, Tom Telesco, the GM there, if, if this went all, all the way south and the Chargers were, you know, as disappointing at the end of this season, let's say, as the Raiders and the Broncos and kind of mixed in 
and couldn't even say that they were the second tier behind the Chiefs. Uh, that's a that's a a whole regime I think that you you should keep an eye on. Um, and there is some belief among some people, and we're get, we're getting into the candidates here. One more job to talk about. There is some belief around the league that Sean Payton has eyes for that job, the Chargers job. So Sean Payton is still under contract with the Saints. So at the moment, you would have to trade things to the Saints um, or work out some kind of deal to get Payton from them. Even though he is retired, he is still technically, uh, you know, part of the Saints. Uh, you know, the Saints have control of him. So, um, but that's that's the word on the street. That uh, you know, and listen, that makes sense. Offensive coach out in the sun in Los Angeles, Justin Herbert. I mean, who wouldn't want that job? Um, but that's the that's that's some juicy stuff there, obviously. And then. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, Kevin Stefanski. Um, and again, like I said before, don't want anybody to lose their job. This is just talking to people in the league and what they tell me. Um, you know, I think Cleveland obviously has been a mess from ownership on down with the Deshaun Watson decision and and uh, trade and signing and the contract that they gave him. Obviously, a lot of owners are angry at the Haslam's for giving Watson that deal. Um, and you know, you can make an easy argument if you're Stefanski that. You know, with Baker Mayfield and now being handled this mess or handed this mess with Watson, like, well, what am I working with here? Right. Uh, but there are people in the league keeping an eye on the Cleveland situation if they keep losing and then Watson's return goes poorly, you know, both on and off the field. So the names to watch. So we also, so we already talked about for candidates, we already talked about Dan Quinn and Sean Payton. I actually hadn't thought of this name at first because I was thinking more of assistants who could rise to become head coaches when I started asking around. But Frank Reich, like, you know, when Doug, when Doug Peterson, for example, got fired by the Eagles, he ends up taking a year off. Then he returns and becomes the Jaguars head coach. Um, and when all these guys get fired, they're normally, you know, still under contract for a year or two years and, ex- you know, extra years. Reich had just been, had gotten a new deal, I believe. So, if he didn't return to coaching, he would just continue to get paid by the Colts. If he did return to coaching, then the, the team he joins would pay him a certain number. And then if his Colts salary were higher, the Colts would just have to pay him the difference. So for example, if he's due to make $5 million in 2023 from the Colts, um, if you know the Cleveland Browns hired Frank Reich and paid him $3 million for that year, the Browns would pay him the three and the Colts would pay him two. Right. So they would subtract three from the five they owe. But this is all about obviously it 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 um it spiraled quickly there for Reich. And he was a part of the regime with Chris Ballard there trying to find an answer at quarterback, failing to do so, and then the Colts looking kind of so dead there midseason. I still don't agree with what Jim Mercer did. But it really comes down to Reich as a respected former player and a current coach who if he wants to return to the league immediately, there will certainly be interviews available, and I would think there would be a job for him there. Uh, I do believe that Reich will try to re-enter the fold immediately and will be a factor in those coaching interviews. Something to understand, though, there are coaching candidates, and Frank Reich could be one of them. I don't know. We'll see. That you could be here, like I could be hearing, and I know I am hearing. It's true that Reich will. Uh, be a factor, and I expect him to get interviews. But 
coaches can be savvy and GMs can be savvy. These candidates can be savvy about not just taking any job. There are some coaches who they would get an offered an NFL head coaching job and they would take one anywhere. And listen, I mean, I would, <laughs> you know, to be able to say I, say I did and to make all that money and yeah, let's do it. But especially if you're a coach who's been through it and gone through and see how different organizations operate, some are more efficient than others. And if you've gotten fired and had a bad experience from one, you really want that second job to be a stable one, to, you know, one that you can uh, rely upon the people there and know that if it fails, it's not going to be because of a poor structure or leadership above you. It's going to be simply the team didn't perform. So Reich could be the kind of guy who interviewed in certain places, but would only accept certain jobs that he felt were advantageous based on personnel or based on the leadership of those organizations from the top down. You would think, as I mentioned with Sean Payton and the Chargers and Justin Herbert, that the presence of a quarterback would be the starting point for Frank Reich because he's, I would imagine, exhausted from trying to find one who would work out for his offense and failing. Um, and then, so we have Reich, Sean Payton, and Dan Quinn. Then we have the list of assistant coaches who have, it's a combination of hot names whose teams are also doing well. So a lot of these guys have had interviews before, and then their teams are doing well now. D'Amico Ryan's the defensive coordinator for the Niners, is at the top of the list. I would think he'll get a job if the Niners continue on the track they're on. I would think he'll be a head coach next season. Um, the Eagles coordinators, I mean, Jonathan Gannon, the DC was a hot name last year. You know, the Texans really liked him among others. Um, he and Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator for the Eagles, both of those guys, I would think will receive interviews. Uh, the Giants coordinators, Mike Kafka, the OC, Wink Martindale, the DC, both hot names right now based on what they've done with what they've been given with that roster with the Giants, uh, the Bills coordinators, Ken Dorsey, Obviously, his first year taking over for Brian Dable and Leslie Frazier, the DC, has been a big name out there, a former head coach um, and a guy who, if the Bills have the right kind of success uh, at the end of the season and on defense, could easily get that next opportunity. Um, Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys. So that means, you know, both Dallas coordinators there, Quinn and Kellen Moore, and Byron Lefwich, uh, the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a guy whose uh, time and opportunity may be overdue. Um, and then, you know, there's some teams, uh, Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs OC, um, you know, I would think he would con continue probably to get some interviews. I don't know if he would get a job. Um, the Bengals coordinators are both hot names. It just really has to do with the Bengals winning down the stretch like they did last year again. Uh, but Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator, and then Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator who the Giants interviewed this past year, uh, both guys who were really respected, who people in the league expect both to be head coaches if the Bengals continue uh, to have success. Greg Roman, should have mentioned him as well. That's the uh, OC for the Baltimore Ravens, um, you know, another guy who should get some interviews. And then, you know, that, I went through a lot of those names I just mentioned are teams who are having success and you know, when teams have success, they go to the playoffs, they go to the Super Bowl, their names get bigger in the headlines, and a lot of them end up getting jobs. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Uh, but there also are some names of people around the league who, even though their teams aren't winning right now, are still uh, popping in my ears, and people around the league are talking about a lot and are considered um, big time candidates, even if their teams aren't, you know, blowing people out of the water. 
So two guys from the Rams, um, Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator, that's no secret. Um, the Rams love him too, though. So would it be difficult to get him? Um, what's going on with Sean McVay, who you, you keep hearing things about how he might hang it up. He looks miserable on the sidelines. Uh, he's going to hang it up when certain players leave, all these reports. So Raheem Morris could be the kind of guy who they don't want to let him out. And then, you know, if McVay pulls his crazy, uh, not crazy, but if McVay decides based on how he's feeling that, you know what, I need to take a break or this is it for me as a head coach, then maybe he gets the promotion and Morris is the guy. But there's another guy in Los Angeles to keep an eye on, and that is assistant head coach Thomas Brown. Um, he was coaching the running backs last year, I believe he's at the tight ends now this year, um, had an interview with the Dolphins last year before the Dolphins hired My- Mike McDaniel from the 49ers. Obviously, that's going well. Uh, but Brown is considered um, a leader, kind of, uh, you know, a, uh, a guy who could manage the entire operation. You know, you have certain coaches who are uh, offensive minds and want to call plays. And then certain coaches who say, I'm a defensive coach, you know, like a Robert Sala who oversees the whole thing, but, but the defense is his thing. Um, what I talk to people in Los Angeles and with the Rams and around the Rams, they tell me that Brown, you know, he could be like that CEO, you know, the guy who's running the show, the guy who uh, is the great uh, front facing face and voice of your franchise, who players in the Rams organization really respect. Uh, so I'm, you know, there's a lot of uh, keep watching the coaches in Los Angeles. And obviously, um, you know, the McVay tree has a fair amount of success at landing head coaching jobs as well. So no secret there. Uh, Bubba Ventrone, the special teams coach for the Colts, um, maybe based on the Colts turmoil, uh, getting a job would be more difficult, but getting interviews and continuing on a track of being well-respected. Uh, he has stepped in or had stepped in as the interim several times when Frank Reich you know, was out sick going back last year, last couple of years. Uh, Ventrone took over and did a lot behind the scenes there um, and and showed his leadership skills. So that's another guy I know that people are keeping an eye on. And then uh, a couple others, Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, who I just saw his offense in person. You know, Lions have scored 31 or more points five times out of 10 games with Jared Goff, a quarterback. Um, I think now everybody is just talking about the Lions offense as if Oh yeah, we you know they're good. The Lions' offense is good, but coming into the season, nobody thought that. Nobody thought the Lions were going to be some you know juggernaut on offense. Um, but they have won three in a row and are looking like a team who could make some noise down the stretch, mainly because of Johnson's um, Johnson's offense there. And so that's one to keep an eye on as well. Just in future years too, like some of these guys, if their team doesn't win and they lose down the stretch, they don't make the playoffs. Some things go wrong. Whatever. If they're in their first year. It doesn't mean that getting an interview would mean they get a job. You know, there's a graduation to some of this sometimes. Uh, but these are names also not just to remember for now, but for the future. And then the Broncos defensive coordinator, I believe his, his name is pronounced Ejiro Evero. I hope I said that correctly. Um, I should have done my homework on that, like the great Doc Emmerich always did in those hockey locker rooms that I was in, sitting down next to every player and asking him right to his face, how do I say your name? How do I pronounce this? That's a true pro. Um, I usually do my best to do that. Uh, but the the Broncos defensive coordinator is a guy who, despite Nate Hackett and the Broncos failing 
Obviously, they have one of the best defenses in the league, and that's opened a lot of eyes over there. Uh, so something to keep an eye on. And then real quickly, just some GMs to look out for. Um, you know, like I mentioned, you know, I said that the Charger situation could be one to watch. Who knows if the Cardinals will finally bring some accountability to that chair if they decide to make changes. Um, and obviously there could be others to watch, but some candidates that people are saying to keep an eye on the Giants assistant GM, Brandon Brown, uh, Brandon Brown in his first year with the Giants came from the Eagles. Um, one league source told me flat out he's outstanding. And uh, you can see some of what the Giants have done to be able to scotch tape this season and this team together and try to make their way through into 2023. Uh, Brown is a huge part of Joe Shane's operation. He will be a GM one day. Um, Elliot Wolf, the Patriots scouting director, you know, people telling me he's this is a when, not if guy. Like he's going to be a GM. It's just a question of when, not if um, from the Patriots. And then on the, on the list as well, uh, the Colts' Morocco Brown, he's their chief personnel executive. The Bills' director of player personnel, Terrence Gray, somebody to watch. <coughs> Excuse me. The Bucks' VP of player personnel, John Spitek. Uh, 49ers' assistant GM, assistant GM, Adam Peters, obviously was a finalist for the Giants' job that Joe Shane got, along with Ryan Poles, who went to the Bears. Chiefs' assistant GM, Mike Borgonzi, and ex-Vikings GM, Rick Spielman, if he decides to wade back in. I love I love the coaching and GM carousel. I love that time of year, but it's always um, I, I'm not sure fans recognize, and that's why I wanted to bring this to your attention now that this work happens much earlier and is continually monitored, and then these conversations occur. And even though you hear about it only really in January and February, I am hearing about it and talking to people about it throughout the fall as all these games are being played. Uh, fascinating business, fascinating to follow all of these uh, coaches and GMs' careers and how these organizations operate. And I hope you gleaned a lot of information and took some notes maybe even for when you're following us in January and February. You can grade me on on what we saw with openings, with candidates being hired. And, uh, and we will be doing dogged reporting during that time as well, possibly while covering Giants playoff football. You never know. Uh, but thanks for uh, tuning into this segment where we broke down the coaches and GMs and the carousel for 2023. And now we're going to go over and talk to Jason Fitzgerald, a fascinating person in this NFL industry and the founder of the site overthecap.com. Stick around. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. We have a very special guest this week. He is the founder of the leading NFL salary cap website, overthecat.com. He is the host of the Over the Cap podcast. He's the co-author of Crunching Numbers, which is essentially the Bible of NFL salary cap understanding in the league at the moment. The one and only Jason Fitzgerald. Jason, thank you for joining me, man. Hey, no problem. Thanks for the uh, kind words and the nice introduction there. Oh, you got it. Well. It's so kind and it's such a nice introduction because this is the craziest thing to me. This isn't your full-time gig? No, 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 no. Absolutely not. This is a, uh, I still look at this as kind of like my side little hobby that uh, I just kind of enjoy doing. My, my, my little section of the NFL to kind of keep interested in that. But uh, no, in the real world, I, uh, I work in engineering 
and uh, do something completely different than anything sports related or NFL related. And you have a family too, I imagine. So you have the the full time job, the family, and the side hustle. You're, how do you make time for all that? Uh, it, it's pretty tough, <laughs> but you know we we kind of get that schedule to work out. You know the kids are getting a little bit older, which means a lot more time taking them to sports, taking them to dance, taking them to whatever kind of activities they have going on. So that kind of cuts into uh, posting time at OTC or. Uh, not always being able to get a podcast out every week. Uh, maybe I don't get to travel every now and then <laughs> to a uh, combine or stuff like that anymore. But uh, yeah, you know, you try to balance it out to uh, keep things going. No, it's, it's really remarkable. And do you, um, because now this has gotten so big, I mean, do you consult for teams or, you know, do any kind of consulting in the league? Because we're, we're going to get into this, but I mean, Jason's, Jason's work has gotten, um, is so relevant and is so resourceful that um, you know he is at least by me and everyone I know in the business consulted in some form. So I was just wondering if you officially work with anybody in the league in that regard. No, more on the uh, more on the team side. It's more just like every now and then I'll publish something and they'll be interested in some of the raw data and just going over some of the different things that uh, I kind of did to to get to a conclusion or. Um, just kind of looking at stuff like that. The actual consulting stuff I do is more on the agent side. Um, so we, we do stuff really for helping out with player negotiations and, um, you know, even doing some prep work, uh, I guess for different types of interviews for front office jobs and stuff like that, just kind of helping people go over, you know, this is what's going on with the, uh, the salary cap for the team. And this is what some of the contracts look like and just, just some stuff like that. Really interesting. Did you foresee this getting this big when you started it? No, not really. I just kind of figured like it was a, uh, it'd be like a small little thing to do. Um, you know, when I first did this, it was talking really just about the Jets. And then from the Jets, I said, oh, we'll try the AFC East. And then we kind of went bigger from there. And really a, a lot of it, I think, was just right place, right time. Um, you know, the, it was the, that kind of period where things were changing from, you know, what had been message boards online and, you know, a couple websites here and there to really being kind of much more interactive formats. And, you know, you, you could get onto Twitter then at that point and, you know, you could start to try to uh, kind of promote yourself on there and do discussions on there. And that's really how I met a lot of people, you know, how you, how you meet uh, Nick who does most of the, uh, the backend work for OTC um, guys like Troy and stuff like that, who do some of the writing on it, Brad, who I also did a book with, he works at pro football focus now, you know, and it, it's really come from these different types of platforms um, that all kind of came out at the same time. And I was just kind of able to take advantage, I think, of that a little bit. And could you explain to me how Nick is so valuable? I know I know him from the compensatory draft pick formula. So NFL fans, I'm sure you're familiar with this. It's gotten very big in the public understanding now. I don't think many people have understood what teams like the Ravens were doing and have been for a while. People are finally starting to catch up. But Jason, like you and Nick, I mean, part of the work you've done, I think, has kind of opened our eyes, the media, and the public to really how that works. I mean, would that be an accurate statement? Oh, yeah. And, you know, he does a fantastic job with the compensatory stuff. I mean, just off the charts with that. But, you know, going back to like when I first did the, the first kind of the first iteration of OTC, I didn't know much about programming, database management, anything like that. So Nick kind of took what was a, uh, pretty 
clunky setup that I had and he, he kind of brought it to life and uh, made it more into the format that it's in now. Oh, gotcha. I see. Okay. Okay. Before we get into some current league questions about some of these contract decisions, now that you've built this resourceful site, there's a lot of different ways you can digest information on it, search through it. But as the founder of it, what is your favorite part of how people use the site or how people can use the site? Oh, I, I think the I still think it's the most basic stuff that's on there, going through the the team pages for everybody and uh, you know, being able to look at their salary cap this year or their salary cap next year and seeing what it will cost to release the players um on the salary cap and kind of let you fiddle around with contract restructures and you know, see what you can do uh, if you use the calculators that are on the site. If you, you know, if you don't want to do it manually, if you want to let the site do it for you, I think those are kind of the two most fun areas that that exist on the website. And it all just deal, deals with kind of managing the team. I was going to say, I, you know, mine, and I think I know people in the league love the cap the cap calculator. And just for fans' understanding, this book over my right shoulder, crunching numbers, um, that Jason co-authored in 2016 is as just as, if not more, valuable resource considered. And this isn't, I'm not just talking about NFL media like me who's trying to learn more about what I cover. I'm talking about, you know, scouts and front offices and coaches and people who want to know about these topics. Like this is, uh, like I said, you know, the seminal work in, you know, recently of the current iteration of how the NFL salary cap works. Um, And so it's fascinating to me. And very grateful that you're joining us because you know a lot about uh, the machinations of the business of the NFL than I do. And in New York, I wanted to shift to a, a hot topic right now, and it's going to get hotter as the season gets deeper. But with the Giants right now, Jason, you know well, we have Daniel Jones and we have Saquon Barkley. And both of these guys with their contracts coming up at the end of the year. But teams can only tag and use a franchise tag or a transition tag once per year, right? So I want to pose the question to you. What should the Giants do in that situation, just in your opinion, knowing their finances, knowing the players, knowing how this works? Should they tag Jones and try to sign Barkley, or should they tag Barkley and try to sign Jones? Uh, I think if you're going to tag one of the two players, I think Barkley is the guy that you probably tag. Um, I, I think when you look at Daniel Jones and he, he's played better this year, but I think when you look at his limitations and you kind of look at the way that, um, kind of like other first round picks have done in free agency who haven't been very good, uh, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, uh, Mitchell Trubisky, it, those players are not signing contracts anywhere near the level of a franchise tag player. You know, the, the contracts they're signing are worth. Um, seven million a year, ten million a year. So I, I think that you just you would take the franchise tag out of play there, even though it is the much more important position. I think you probably just use the franchise tag on Barkley to keep that window open, no different than the uh, Tennessee Titans did a couple of years ago with Derrick Henry. And I think you probably just aim for that same kind of contract that Henry got, you know, twelve million a year, um, you know, on like a four year deal, something like that. See, I think that makes sense, except. Then what's the solution with Jones? Because even though they've won, they've won by kind of protecting him and run heavy and being efficient, but not putting the game on his shoulders. And everything has trended with them 
towards trying to draft another quarterback, except they're not going to have the high pick to do it. I mean, yes, they could trade up. They could try to do that. Um, but I, I almost envision them tagging Jones to, you know, not give him a long-term deal and uh, kind of kick the can down the road on the QB decision and on that front. Because otherwise, like I, you know, could a guy like Jones take a two-year, you know, deal at minimal money just to to keep a job and stay and be a backup? Or does that put the Giants in no man's land, I guess is my question on the QB front contractually. Yeah, I mean, well, they do have a number of things they can try with him. Um, you know, I, I think, I, I guess, um, you know, in his case, it, it's, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. At the same time, you also don't want to insult him uh, with some of the offers that you make. And I, I think you also don't want to go, you know, even though, as you said, you're not going to be in a great position to draft a quarterback. I, I don't think you want to go down that route either. Um, that other option of the Derek Carr type, Jimmy Garoppolo, bringing Carson Wentz, um, you know, those types of <laughs> players and, you know, kind of screw yourself up going that way. So it, it's almost like this is the guy that you're most familiar with. And I think you just do an incentive laden kind of deal that kind of cuts in that market that looks like it's fair and you're just not doing anything that's going to screw you up long-term with them. Got it. So re-sign him to a, a shorter deal that's heavy with incentives that gives him a chance to continue showing that he's the guy, but doesn't anoint him or lock you in financially to something long-term that you can't get out of. Yeah, I think that's, the, that's pretty much what you want to do if right now if you're uh, the Giants general manager. Interesting. So just for people's understanding, we're working in a you know, there's a previous collective bargaining agreement. Um, so when Jason, you know, wrote the book and co-authored the book, uh, Crunching Numbers, there was a previous collective bargaining agreement. And then in 2020, obviously there was a new deal agreed to. It's not a 10-year CBA that's going to be up in 2030. And of course, in these negotiations, these gives and takes happen between the union and the NFL's owners in order to come to an agreement. Jason is is the biggest mechanism that the owners kind of kept, like the biggest leverage point they won or maintained in the, these previous negotiations, was it keeping the franchise tag? Like, is that, is that the mechanism that uh, is most advantageous to them in this current deal? Uh, I mean, it is. It's, a, uh, it, it's not something that they're ever going to get rid of. Um, it's a big thing because it, it does prevent your kind of star players really from really ever thinking about leaving in free agency. You know, if you look at the guys that the franchise tag is often used on, it's really not the stars because the stars know that they're never, you know, they're never going to get past that franchise tag. So they end up signing extensions. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing really for um, the owner side when it comes to this is the length of these rookie contracts. Um, they don't let you extend them until after three years. They lock the players in for at least four, if not five. I think that's kind of the, the biggest thing on the uh, owner's side that they're never going to want to give up. You know, like if it were me and I was working with the Players Association, my thought is you have to go in there. When you see the way the league is now compared to the way that it used to be, where, you know, players were playing until they were in their 30s and, you know, guys that get contract extensions when they were older. If it was me, I'd go in there and I'd be saying, look, we need rookie deals to be two years long or three years long. Nothing, nothing more than that. That that's really the one way for the players, I think, to uh, come out ahead in the future. But 
more often than not, you know, it, it's probably not going to happen that way because I, I think the owners would just give too much pushback and uh, I don't think they're going to go to to war kind of over those kind of issues. Why would, so as you mentioned right now, like a player can't negotiate his second deal until after his third regular season, but wouldn't owners, couldn't it benefit owners in certain cases to be able to negotiate earlier than that? For example, like with a, a second year quarterback who is doing really well. And then as an owner, you might say, well, let me lock this guy into something now in November before he wins the Super Bowl. And then he really costs me, right? You know, yeah, sure. could that benefit owners if that went that way? Or do you think more negotiations would happen if that, if that three-year uh, limit was removed? I think more negotiations would happen because I, I think what happens, you're, you're right. You know, in the old system, you used to be able to renegotiate after two years. Um, and you did see a couple of teams, San Francisco and Philadelphia, mainly take advantage of that. And you do see teams like the Eagles now that are a little bit more proactive doing after, you know, after three years. But I, I think the, the way that it helps the teams with the system that's in now is you do have to honor your full rookie contract. So even after three years, if you're a first round pick, you do have to honor that fourth year salary, which is relatively low compared to what you're, you end up signing for. And that fifth year option salary, which even with the new rules in place that have bumped it up, it's still a very low figure compared to, you know, if you're a superstar quarterback signer for $50 million a year, you know, you, you have to honor a fourth year salary of, I don't know, $5 million and then a, you know, a fifth year salary of maybe $30 million. So, you know, if, if you get rid of those, now you're talking about getting $50 million legitimately right off the bat. So I, it's uh -huh. those, it's having to honor those years and that money that really drives the numbers down, I think, overall for the players. Huh. And then signing bonus proration would affect something like that too, right? Because signing bonus proration right now, teams can kick money on a signing bonus, what, up to five years, I think. But yeah. if you couldn't do that, then it would be cash to cap. And those big years would be real money and not just cat money, right? Yep. Yep. So, you know, I, I think it would be, I think it'd be really interesting. I think it would actually bring a lot more um, competition to free agency. I think there'd be a, uh, a lot more abilities to, to kind of shift right now in free agency, you kind of are getting D level talent and the couple of a level players that get there often are so much on the older side by the time they're getting there that they don't really give you that kind of contribution. Their best years came in year three and year four when they were still on those rookie deals. And, you know, now if you, if you flip the script and you have guys getting into free agency when they're 24 and 25 years old, you can really completely change the complexion of a team. I mean, you, you look at, yeah, uh, I'll use the Giants as an example next year. They probably have about $60 million in cap space, uh, you know, probably the fifth highest total in the league. It's going to be tough for them. And I know right now, uh, I'm sure people are saying, please don't sign anybody, you know, based on recent history with the Giants and what they've done. But, <laughs> you know, if you actually had a number of players, like if you had a Justin Jefferson type player going into free agency this year or last year, that's a, that's a whole different world of player than Kenny Galladay. Um, you know, th these are guys that actually make a difference if those kind of players were to get to free agency. And you know, I think it'd give those really bad teams a chance to, you know, bring in some young talent just by kind of flexing the salary cap muscle at the times that they have it versus having to go out there and overpay for guys who really were just given up on by the last teams because they weren't worth the amount of money they were looking for. 
Right. And so speaking of all of these decisions these teams have to make, there's a free agent player right now who's in the news and planning to sign with somebody, and that's Odell Beckham Jr. Again, uh, you know, uh, a New York-centric topic here, but also a league-wide because he's considering various suitors. I think the Cowboys, Niners, Bills, Chiefs are all teams as well that could land him. But Jason, it doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, consensus about what he could even get paid and what teams would be willing to pay him. I'm curious what you think he would be worth and what maybe a contract would look like for the team that ends up winning Beckham in these sweepstakes, so to speak. Would it be a one-year deal, a two-year deal? Uh, could he really command, I mean, top receiver or close to top receiver money that he's supposedly looking for? What do you think it would look like? I, I for I think for Beckham it would be pretty low. Um, you know, last year I know it was a little bit different last year, but he signed with the Rams um, midway through the year, maybe maybe three quarters of the way through. Um, yeah, it's about three quarters. Yep. Yeah, and I mean it was uh, it was a couple million dollars. A lot of it was based all on incentives, and you know I, I think if there was that kind of money involved, he'd already be on a team. You know, I think this is more like the Dallas Cowboys want to sign him for $2 million and they just want to say, hey, look, this is where we're at. You're going to have a chance again to compete in the playoffs. You make some noise in the playoffs playing opposite CD Lamb or whatever it is. You're going to make money next year, whether it's it might not be with us, but it'll be with somebody. Um, I think that's what they're all looking for. I don't think any of these teams are looking to do a, a major deal for him. His injury history is too much. And it, you know, he really hasn't really played that much in the last, uh, you know, year and a half, two years now. Yeah. I, I kept, I heard that report, um, that he was looking for a multi-year deal and kind of just shook my head. And my first reaction was that's a negotiation tactic. Um, my second reaction yep. was, oh, you know, maybe that would give uh, a team like the giants actually an opportunity to afford him. Because they would say, like, we are giving you five cents, <laughs> you know, in the 2022 season, but we could backload it in 2023. And that that might be like a way to keep somebody like them in it. But it's still hard for me to envision. And it sounds like you're saying that too. Yeah. Yeah. There's ways you can do that. You can do that with incentives. That's in a sense, that's what the Rams did last year. They deferred a lot of the cost for him to this season, even though he wasn't on the team. But at the same point in time, he had to earn those incentives. It's not like it was set up in a way to where it was automatic. You know, they basically had to get to the Super Bowl. He had to be playing and he had to be somewhat productive, um, you know, in order to maximize that contract value. Right. Good point. Open-ended question. Um, which teams, in your opinion, from your experience, are the either most creative or most efficient or best at managing the salary cap um, and keeping it? consistently healthy it's the eagles um the the eagles do some stuff that while i don't agree with some of the stuff they do i guess when it comes to void years all the time they just manage their whole roster better than anybody uh the way they structure their contracts is very unique they're always looking to find loopholes in the system and find ways to exploit the system and they do it you know, if you looked on a piece of paper a couple of years ago at what the Eagles' salary cap looked like, you'd say this team is doomed, especially when they had to walk away uh, from Carson Wentz. They didn't have a problem managing it. They, they got creative and they just did stuff. And you compare the Eagles. Now, they haven't had a, to destroy their roster the way that the Bears have or the Falcons have. But you look at the Bears, you look at the Falcons, you look at the Panthers. I mean, th these are teams that are set back two years based on 
bad salary cap management or bad, you know, bad decisions. It's, it's not just what the guys do with the contracts. It's just bad decisions on a, a franchise level. Yeah. The Eagles very easily could have fallen into that same category. Never have. Um, so I, I think when, whenever you talk salary cap, I think it begins and ends with the Eagles. They, uh, they're just really good at it. And for the listeners, I'm sure they most people understand this, but void years are usually when a team tacks on like extra years on the back end to kind of spread out the the salary cap hit into future years, into years where you're basically you're you're not incurring much salary there, but you're still costing your team's cap space in order to fit a player in in the short term. Are, do you not agree with that, Jason? Because you just don't agree with deferring those costs in that type of contract, or are there other mechanisms that you don't agree with that they do? So I, I think with the void years, the the issue that you run into, um, you know, you're, you're basically deferring money to when that player is not going to be under contract anymore with your organization, and you know that that's all well and good a lot of times if it's a quarterback or someone that you think you're going to resign. I, I think the issue is that when you start doing it with players um, whose performance levels decline you, you kind of leverage, leverage yourself into a bad position. Uh, it makes it difficult maybe to release those players um, or it leaves you with just a, a monster bill um, when those players don't want to resign with you as a free agent because they know they have the leverage to kind of push you around. Like I, I think that's happened in New Orleans a little bit. Um, you know, with some of the guys that they've lost, it, it's almost like a game of chicken. It's like, well, you know, if you don't sign me to a big extension by this date, you're going to take a 15 million dollar dead cap hit. Um, but if you mm. extend me, you, you can avoid that, that cap hit. And I, I think that, uh, that kind of creates a, a, a cycle that's not very good for a team, but the Eagles have found a way, but most of the other teams, I don't think have, uh, have figured that out. That's fascinating. Why did you not only, you know, start the I, you, you got into a little bit of like right place, right time, starting the website, but then why, why did you end up writing the book crunching numbers did you see a vacuum of either understanding about certain elements of the collecting collective bargaining agreement or was there something that happened with a certain contract or team or season that a light went on and you said people would really benefit from knowing more about this not really <laughs> um, you know to be honest <laughs> it was just something that i enjoyed writing about like kind of kind of on the side a little bit and um you know, I, I would just talk about it. And again, it was, you know, mainly on the jets and it was just like, oh, you know, I kind of want to expand out and try and see what goes a little bit more with it. Uh, but it, it wasn't like I, I looked at this and was like, you know, the landscape really needs this. And, you know, there, there's a spot <laughs> to jump in. It really wasn't anything like that. It was, uh, it was just kind of like, I'll oh, put it out there. Let's see what happens. And, um, you know, it ended up being much, like I said before, much bigger than I thought. Uh, but yeah, there, there was no, like, um, there was, there was no thought like they're really missing this part of the NFL and I need to jump in there and take advantage of it. Uh, it just, <laughs> maybe it worked out that way, but, uh, yeah, that, that was never the intention with it. Well, we might have to change that part of the story in the build up for the movie, you know, but that, obviously that's what really happened. So we'll go with the factual part of it. That's no, funny. Um, there you go. And then, yeah. So you wrote the book and that was during the previous CBA. We have a new collective bargaining agreement now. Something's the same, th something's different. Will we, will we get another crunching numbers anytime? Oh boy. Uh, yeah, uh, eventually. Um, you know, VJ and I are both 
pretty busy. You know, he went over all the stuff I've got going on right now and he's, uh, he's super busy too. Uh, we get asked all the time. Um, you know, we get a, you know, teams use that book now for, you know, eventually before, you know, scouts and everybody else. So we, we get asked all the time, Oh, is there going to be a second edition? Yes. When? I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, whenever, whenever the schedule allows, hopefully it'll be before the, the next CBA happens. But uh, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll eventually get to it. The, the rules aren't that much different. You know, there, there's some new stuff that's in there, um, you know, that, that we'd have to do. And obviously you'd want to update the examples that are, you know, more relevant to today's player versus using, you know, like examples that we had in there for Mario Williams and Darrell Reeve. You know, that, that's another generation of players. Um, so you'd want to update that kind of stuff. But yeah, w- one of these days we will uh, we will get around to uh, updating the book and we'll have a Crunching Numbers 2.0 that covers the uh, new topics in the CBA. Let's go. Let's go. I can, t- I can tell you're tired of being answered that, asked that question. That's pretty funny. But uh, let me ask you this too. Does the, well, we haven't seen the effect yet, but what, what effect will uh, the television money and the new TV deals have on this CBA looking different, like in 2025 or 2026 than it does now? Like how, um, this infusion, I mean, is it as simple as teams will have a ton more money to spend and players will make more and the salaries will expand or, you know, what, what will we be looking at with that landscape? Do you think? Yeah, I, I think that that's pretty much what it'll be. Uh, I would anticipate that the new TV deals probably start to impact the salary cap in uh, 2024. I think we'll be done with any kind of COVID paybacks at that point in time. And then it's just a question of, you know, how much is the cap going to grow right now? Nobody knows. Um, you know, I'm sure the owners probably have an idea, but you know, no, nobody really has a, a firm understanding yet of it. So, you know, you just want to see, is there going to be a giant spike in 2024? And then does it kind of taper off? You know, in the old CBA, the cap was growing every year by $10 million. Are we going to grow the cap now every year by 15 million? Is it going to grow by 20 million or is it going to be something astronomical? We don't really know. So I, I think you just kind of wait and see. But I, th- I think that'll be the big difference is, you know, you'll get that big jump at some point in the salary cap. And at some point, it's going to lead to player salaries really increasing on the top end. And then that, that'll eventually balance everything out to where it won't seem that crazy. Um, but I think you'll have probably a two to three year period where you, you're going to have a lot of varying cap situations, um, just based on contracts that were signed prior to the new TV deal and contracts that are going to come in kind of post that where the salaries should increase. And I'm not sure how many NFL fans are aware of this, but in addition to every year you see, everybody sees obviously, oh, this is the salary cap for this season, but teams can carry over salary cap year to year and then end up with extra cap that they didn't spend the previous year. I bring that up, Jason, because I wanted to ask you, ask you, when this previous CBA was created, why, like as the union and players, like why would you want that in the collective bargaining agreement? Why would you not fight for that to be out? Because obviously that's just money that's not spent on players, right? Yeah. You know, what happened was in the old CBA, teams had, uh, they kind of figured out a loophole. There was a way where you could take cap space that you hadn't used and you could basically modify a player's contract to basically make it all count on the cap in say 2008. 
And when the guy didn't earn that incentive, which he had no way to earn, like you'd give a backup safety a $10 million incentive if you got 15 interceptions on the year. So the next year, then that team would be credited with that salary cap charge. So what you did is you had, you know, probably anywhere from 10 to 12 teams, you know, that were really utilizing that loophole every single year in December. Uh, with a number of their players, the Jets, the Eagles, the uh, Packers. So eventually it just got to the point where it was like, look, just put it in and say, carry the money over. And, you know, <laughs> it, it just got rid of having to do that other little step. So that that was really what happened is that the teams discovered a loophole. And rather than making everybody go through this loophole, it was just, all right, this is going to be easier to do. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I could Im- I could imagine that it's, it costs players money year to year, but I, that's a, that's a great history. And that's honestly, everybody, that's why you have to buy the first book. And that's why you got to buy the second book and go to Jason's site whenever you can, because he's full of this information. couple more questions. I know you are busy as we have talked about, and we'll get you out of here. Do you think the, the owners can increase the regular season, um, to 18 games? Uh, they probably will. Um, you know, that, that'll be, you know, next step. Uh, I think you, you'll see them probably offer to get rid of the off-season workouts or something like that in return. You know, you'll look for 18. Um, you know, that's the, uh, basically any, the NFL is willing to usually give away anything that doesn't deal with television stuff, you know, workout stuff, more concussion protocols, uh, certain things like that. And in return, they'll, they'll look for that extra game because that will, you know, push the TV money even further um, along. And, you know, when it you get into that negotiation, the guys who played the 16 season game, they're all going to be gone from the league. Um, so no one's really even going to be like 17 games is too many. You know, it should have been 16. They're all going to be used to playing the 17 game season. And now it's going to be like, well, let's go to 18. Wow. So we'll look for 18 and that would mean two preseason games, right? Two preseason 18 regular season. So we will look for that. A couple of quick questions too. I know on your podcast, you always sit down, uh, listen to Jason's podcast, by the way. He takes a lot of questions and he will dive into all these topics around the league. It's great stuff. Um, but I know you always have like a nice glass of beer or bottle of beer with you. I just wanted to know what was your, what's your favorite or what, you know, what's your, uh, what's your top three, let's say. Well, I, I think my, uh, my, my usual go-to drink um, <laughs> during the podcast uh, that's usually the uh, the Dogfish Head sixty. Um, that, that's usually the uh, the go to that we have. Um, but uh, you know, the, these days I've been uh, trying to cut back a little bit. Got a, got a little too heavy, so we've been doing uh, a little bit more of the uh, lower carb stuff here and there. But the Dogfish sixty is usually the go to. I respect it. I'm I'm a wine and uh, you know like old fashioned uh, bourbon guy. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's cool. And then circling back to where we started. How do you see over the cap, the website evolving from here? What is the next step? Are there things you're working on behind the scenes, new products that would be added to it soon? You know, where do you see it going? Because it's already gotten so much bigger, as you said, than, uh, than you ever intended or expected. Uh, that's a good question. You know, and, and to be honest, I'm not sure, you know, we, we develop a lot of different kinds of tools. It, it, this is one of those things where I say, hey, you know, if I was younger, um, you know, th- there's a lot more that uh, I'd probably try to push forward with it and uh, work with it. But 
I would say in the future, maybe, maybe there's going to be more partnerships or something involved with, uh, you know, maybe some people who have some more resources that can do some things with it. And, you know, eventually one of these days, I'm, I'm still having fun with it, but uh, there will come a time where unfortunately I probably got to phase out and, uh, you know, some of the younger guys can probably phase in and uh, maybe that maybe that will be the kind of the OTC uh, 2.0 or 3.0 or something like that somewhere down the line. If the phase out gets us crunching numbers 2.0, I'm all for it. Jason, thank you so much. Everybody go read the book, buy the first book, buy the second book when it comes out, use the website and just know that Jason is um, one of the authorities in this business and one of the people, fascinating people behind the scenes who help make this business go and help people like me, thankfully, often understand how I can bring that information to you in plain English because otherwise I would struggle myself. Jason, Thanks for joining us and uh, hopefully talk to you again soon. All right. Welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. Let's get over to Pat's picks. I'm going to pick the three Thanksgiving games, and then you can find all the rest of my picks presented by Bet Online on Instagram on Friday. So let's go right to the holiday and start with the Buffalo Bills minus nine at the Detroit Lions. Nine point favorites, a large line even for the Buffalo Bills. The Bills and Lions both have scored 30 or more points in five of their 10 games, so in half of their games. The difference between the teams is that the Lions are allowing 28 points per game on defense. The Bills' D is holding opponents to 17.4. I still think the nine is a little bit too rich for me, given that Detroit inside, at home, even in some of the games that they have lost, they've kind of charged back and scored a bunch of points late. They have a lot of weapons out there on the field. They can run the ball and throw the ball. They're pretty balanced. Uh, injuries are a factor this time of year for every side. The Bills could round into form coming off of two weeks ago with that terrible loss to the Minnesota Vikings. Obviously, they stomped the Cleveland Browns in this same stadium, and now they come back. So familiar confines, given that strange snowstorm that hit. But I like the Lions here. I'm going to take the Lions. It's just a large nine-point spread there. The home dog, give me Detroit. Uh, going to Dallas against the Giants. The Cowboys hosting nine-point favorites now on Bet Online. It started at eight and eight and a half in some places. Bet Online had it at eight and a half on Sunday. And then on Monday, moves to nine after the injury news on Adoree Jackson, the corner, and Wandale Robinson, the, the receiver, both being out long-term. Uh, I think the Giants have been fortunate and well-coached to overcome their injuries to this point this season, but I think it's finally catching up to them, including on this short week, where they will probably struggle to get back key players who've been out, like Evan Neal, Aziz Ojolari, and Daniel Bellinger, the tight end. These are players, especially Ojolari, who if this were a regular week and there were a game on Sunday, he might be able to go, but Thursday puts him more in jeopardy. We will see what happens there, but losing players and then struggling to get some back as well on a short week, I think spells doom for the Giants, and I think the Cowboys roll. Give me Dallas. And then this is the hardest one to me, Vikings minus three, hosting the Patriots. Uh, you know, Minnesota obviously laid an egg at home against Dallas. And it's, it would be easy to overreact to that. Um, I'm not picking the Patriots because of the Vikings laying that egg. I'm picking the Patriots because when I look at Minnesota, I see that Christian Darasaw, their left tackle, is out Thursday. I see that Zadarius Smith, 
on the defensive line, um, he played through a knee injury that had him questionable in this game against Dallas and wasn't nearly the factor he has been through most of the season. We don't know, obviously no crystal ball, what's going to happen with injuries on both sides until uh, we get you know two hours, an hour and a half before the game. But Minnesota, to me, this feels like this will be more of a dogfight than it should be based on the team's record and even Minnesota being a very difficult place to play for opponents. I think Belichick coaching against Kevin O'Connell. O'Connell's done a great job as a rookie coach, but I like the coaching advantage for New England. I think Belichick will know, as he does every week, the game plan that is best to help his team win and keep it close. And so even if the Patriots lose this game, I think they will manage to keep the game close and play the game on their terms, especially with some of the Vikings' top players either not playing or not being fully healthy. So give me the Patriots there as well. And that'll do it for another episode of Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. Please remember to like, review, subscribe on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. We thank you so much for your loyalty, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.